What's up, folks? Back here for part two with Dr. R.T. Kendall. Uh, in this episode, we're going to just focus a little more pinpointed questions around the Holy Spirit and from the book Holy Fire, and then hopefully dovetail that into, into forgiveness um, as well. So, Dr. Kendall, thank you again for being here with us. We're, we're super excited. I mean, the fact that we get two episodes with you is, is a real honor and pleasure. With that being said, I, I mean, we're just going to jump right into it. The first question I wanted to hear, I mean, what are the things that you feel like grieve, not feel, what, do you, what, what are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit? And how can, we, how can we prevent that from happening in our own life or become aware of those things? I was preaching in um, Florence, Alabama. And we went from the pastor's study to the pulpit. And on the way to the pulpit, like 30 seconds before I go into the platform, he said, by the way, what's an, a veteran like you got to teach to a young whippersnapper like me? Mm. Of all the questions to ask, you know, just as we walk into the pulpit, <laughs> I, and I thought, okay, I can tell you. Find out what grieves the Holy Spirit, and don't do that. Mm-hmm. And you've got your work cut out for you. And then we went on into the pulpit. <laughs> that, that, that was my word to him. Find out what grieves the Holy Spirit, don't do that. And I'm going to tell you, that's the biggest challenge you're ever going to meet. Mm. Because when you find out how sensitive the Holy Spirit is, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is a person, Mm. he has a personality, and one of the characteristics of him, like it or not, he gets his feelings hurt easily. Mm. He's very, very sensitive. You say, well, he ought not be like that. But that's the way he is. Mm. Now, when we speak of a person who's hypersensitive, it's not a compliment. But that's the way the Holy Spirit is. And so he gets grieved easily. So when Paul uses the word grieve in Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed before the day of redemption. The word grieve comes to a Greek word, means get your feelings hurt. So you ask, well, what hurts his feelings? Just keep reading. Grieve not the Holy, this is Ephesians 4.30. Mm-hmm. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, evil speaking, but put away from you. The first thing he mentions, bitterness. Mm -hmm. So when you are bitter, that's anger inside. When you're holding a grudge, and then he goes on to say in verse 32, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What you do is find out what grieves him. And when you find out what grieves you, you're going to find out it's the easiest thing to do Mm. is to grieve his Holy Spirit. Like it or not, <laughs> the hardest thing in the world is to keep the grieving spirit. You do it when you don't even think about it. Mm. Take a verse in John chapter 1, verses 31 and 32, where John the Baptist said, I knew that Jesus was the Messiah because he said, the one who sent me to baptize said, when you see the dove come down on Jesus, that's the one, the dove. Now, why dove? Well, dove has been known as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Why? 
Well, at the natural level, a dove is a very shy, sensitive bird. Did you know that doves and pigeons are in the same family? Mm-hmm. Did you know anatomically there is no difference? Any veterinarian will tell you, cut open a dove, cut open a pigeon, same gallbladder, same bone structure, same heart, same bird, but they are different in temperament. For example, you can train a pigeon, mm-hmm. but you cannot train a dove. Mm. A pigeon is boisterous. A dove is gentle. Mm. Pigeon is can be hateful, belligerent. In my book, Pigeon Religion, I give 19 or 20 differences between a dove and a pigeon. They're, they're different. And the reason for that book is so many people think they understand the Holy Spirit. They'll say, you should have been at church Sunday. The Holy Ghost came down. Mm. And you get to the bottom of it, you find out it was probably pigeon religion. Mm-hmm. The pigeon is a symbol of the counterfeit. Mm. And people think because there's noise or jumping up and down, it's the Holy Ghost. Mm. Not necessarily. Now, what is interesting in John 1, 31, 32, is that John the Baptist said, when you, I saw the dove come down and remain. Now, this is a key word. The Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus and remains. Mm. What's significant about that? Well, he comes down on you and me, but he doesn't stay. Mm. He'll come down and maybe for moments, if we're blessed an hour, but then after a while, we find that the dove flew away. What happened? It may be when you lost your temper over the telephone. I have a problem with this. Oh, I still have a problem with it. Uh, speaking to the other day, my doctor's secretary phoned, the wrong person phoned, and obviously knew nothing what was going on. I said, am I to believe that you there in this Famous, I didn't. I don't want to give the name of the place, very famous, and don't even have the administrations worked out. I said, how can you talk to me? I, right then, the dove just flew away. I'm still trying to practice what I preach. It's mm. so easy. A sharp word to Louise or going into the supermarket and you're in a hurry and you get out and you're at the cash register and an old lady there is counting her change. And you think, oh, and you wanted her to hear you. She did, but still did the dove. And he won't bend the rules for any of us. Mm. I'm talking about a very transparent life, 60 seconds a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day, where you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Mm. This is why I say, The easiest thing in the world to do is to grieve the Spirit. We don't mean to, but we just, before before we get it, you speak curtly to somebody. You say, are you out of your mind? You realize what you just said? You know, Jesus would say that. Mm -hmm. So the reason the Holy Spirit could come down on Jesus and remain is that Jesus never, ever grieved the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So when the dove comes out on Jesus, he says, oh, I like it here. I'm going to stay. Mm. He comes down on you and me. And here today, and he's gone in an hour. 
Now that doesn't mean he leaves us. This is metaphoric talking mm. because the Holy Spirit stays with you forever. Mm. But the point being the sense of his presence, mm. the anointing, mm. when we forfeit that through bitterness, that's not the only way you can read the Spirit. That's the chief way. Mm. And once you forfeit that, you can't think clearly. I can't get a sermon. Here's a story. I cannot believe I have not told this. Uh, Steve will remember it. You, you want to hear this. When I was at Westminster Chapel, I started my Sunday morning sermon preparation on Monday morning. And all I did for 25 years, six days a week, was to prepare sermons. The reason I've written all these books, it's not my genius. These are sermons taken down from a tape recorder. That's all they are. The point is, I would start on Monday for Sunday sermon for 25 years. It only happened once, but it was now a Saturday. I hadn't cracked a book. I hadn't opened my Bible in terms of looking up my sermon. And I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? It's Saturday. I've got to preach tomorrow. I've got nothing. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. Louise and I got into an argument. She's here now. <laughs> she was horrible. <laughs> I want you to know, I went to my desk, put my Bible in front of me, sheet of paper, pen, and I said, now, Lord, give me a sermon for tomorrow. I flipped the pages. Lord, deal with that woman. <laughs> 10 o'clock, blank sheet of paper, noon. Blank sheet of paper. Lord, please help me. Please, please, please help me. Two o'clock, five hours later, I was no closer. I said, Lord, please. Every word I speak tomorrow is going to be tape recorded and go around the world. You've got to help me. Four o'clock. You see, I was waiting for her. Come and apologize. I swallowed my pride. I went into the kitchen. I can remember her now. An hour ago, standing next to the refrigerator, tearful. I said, honey, I'm sorry. It was all my fault. She said, well, well no, your fault is partly my fault. I said, no, it's all my fault, and I'm so sorry. We kissed. We hugged. I went back to the same desk. Same blank sheet of paper, same pen, and I promise you, in 45 minutes, I had everything I needed for Sunday. Wow. The thoughts poured. I couldn't write them down fast enough. I'm telling you, in 40, I thought, you know, I got my sermon for tomorrow. I can't believe it. Usually it takes five or six days. <laughs> in 45 minutes, I had, it was as well prepared as if I'd had the whole week. You see, you could accomplish more in five minutes when the Holy Spirit comes down mm. and in five years when you're trying to work it up. Mm. So this is what I mean by anointing. Mm. This is what I mean by ungrieved spirit. When he just comes down, when there's no bitterness, no anger, that's the key. Now, mm. I've taken a good while, but I'll stop. I'd love to ask a related question, maybe just to 
begin firstly by quoting one of my favorite R.T. Kendall quotes that I always remember when it comes to uh, leadership. And the quote is this, pray to be more like Jesus above any other request. The secret to a greater anointing is rooted in your character and not in your talents, gifting, ability, or the opportunities that are or aren't given to you. I mean, I'm sure you remember writing that, but is there anything that you want to add to that? No. No? Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming as I asked the question. <laughs> so then let me, let me ask you as There are no shortcuts. Yeah. There are no... You could go on a 40-day fast, and if you're angry and unforgiving at mm -hmm. the beginning, you'll mm -hmm. be that way after 40 days. Mm -hmm. Have people pray for you to be filled with the Spirit and hope that you'll fall on the floor. Mm. An angry person, when you fall, you'll be angry when you get up. Mm. Total forgiveness is an act of the will, and you do it. Mm. You don't wait for the Holy Ghost to move you. Mm. He never will. Mm. It's when you decide to do it, and that's what changed my life. Yeah. Before we, before we pivot to the, 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 the conversation around forgiveness, there's another um, reference, and I think you wrote a book on this, um, forgive me if, I, if I'm wrong, but you relate great suffering to great anointing. And, and I think you go so far as to say greater suffering always is the preface to greater anointing. Before, before I carry on, is that correct? I, 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 am I quoting you correctly? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay, great. So let me ask you this, RT. Is it possible to miss that? And if so, how do we avoid that? If, if someone, and, and um, maybe some of the listeners know, uh, I've gone through some, some challenges these last four years. We've had some family crises that we've, we've walked through. How do I ensure that the suffering doesn't go to waste? How do I ensure that I, as God desires, step into the greater anointing that he has for me, for others, as a result of the suffering that I have gone through. Or how do you suffer well? How do you yeah. suffer well? That's a great, yeah, that, that, that's it. The answer is you forget about it. You don't say, Lord, look what I've gone through. No, don't ever, mm. ever say that to God. You say, thank you, Lord, that we are through it. I give you thanks and praise. I pray to know the next step forward, what you want to do in my life. Mm. Don't ever use it as leverage. You've got to do this. RT says the greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. That's true. That's mm. true. <laughs> but that's just the way I have found it, and mm. I think others have found it. Uh, God may want to pass you by. Mm. And, and so don't ever hold this before him. I would just say, Lord, thank you that we came through it. And I'm sorry that I complained as I did, because mm. you probably did. Mm. We all do. We don't always dignify the trial. We say, Lord, how can you let this happen to me? But when you come through it, uh, the main thing is that there's no bitterness toward God, and there's no bitterness toward him if he doesn't give you a greater anointing, because mm. he's not obligated to do that. Your Calvinism doesn't end with the idea of conversion. This is the whole... Christian life, we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it will. You can hear the sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from, where it goes. 
God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Mm-hmm. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And for that reason, what am I to do while I'm waiting for God right now? I told you in the previous podcast, the only word I've had from wait. Mm-hmm. I can't say, God, how long do I have to do this? He's not even going to reply. Mm. All I can do is wait, trust him, knowing that it's the same God who said to Moses, Exodus 33, verse 19, Romans 9, 15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. We never outgrow this. Mm. And God is obligated to give us nothing. So we just wait on him. Mm. Mm. Otherwise, that you're, you're going to become an Armenian open theist and try to tell God what he's got to do. Dr. Kendall, before uh, we pivot into forgiveness real quick, I, I do want to ask, I think listeners who might be listening might be curious about uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit mentioned in Mark 3, 22 to 30. And then I think there's another account in Luke. What's your understanding of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and how can we make sure that we don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit today? Even if you could highlight that difference between grieving the Spirit and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Okay, very, very good question. Blaspheming the Spirit is to show contempt on the chief thing the Holy Spirit comes to do. What is that? To say, who is Jesus? Mm. He's God in the flesh. That's the message of the Holy Spirit. This is what John says in 1 John. Every spirit that is not of God will not say that Jesus has come in the flesh. That's saying Jesus is God, the God-man. He was man as though he were not God. He was God as though he were not man. When you show contempt for that, there'll be no forgiveness in this world or the world to come. Mm. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Spirit comes to those who've got a relationship with God. I'll tell you a story. I had a member of Westminster Chapel, a godly man, came in to me after I'd been a minister there two years. He was a faithful member. He said, I've got a problem. Before I became a Christian, I was in a bar in a pub, and I said, damn you, Holy Ghost. And he said, you know, I think about that, and I wonder if I blaspheme the Spirit, and can you help me? I said, okay, I have one question for you. Do you believe that Jesus is God? He said, oh, yes. I said, worry no more, worry no more. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Mm. So he was afraid that he had blasphemed the Spirit because of that moment. No, blaspheming the Spirit is to show contempt on the main thing the Holy Spirit came to do. Yeah, that's amazing. And then lastly, one other question. I'm just fitting this all in here (laughs) (laughs) before we get to forgiveness. In your book, you say, after all, as Jonathan Edwards used to say, when the church is revived, so is the devil. Satan raises up the counterfeit to intimidate sincere seekers of God to put them off so they will run in the opposite direction. Strange fire almost always shows up in any true revival or movement raised up by God. So I guess with that as the backdrop, how do we as Christians discern between the authentic move of God and the inauthentic move? Not easy. In the days that Westminster, if you know much about us, I invited Arthur Blessed to address us, and it changed our lives. Whenever I would have Arthur as a guest, you'd see some of the strangest people to show up. They didn't come ever to hear me. 
They weren't interested in my expository ministry. They came to hear Arthur because he's an exciting, charismatic. I didn't know it was charismatic then, but that mm-hmm. I now know that's what it was and is. And this one man in particular, he would come and sit on the front row and have his hands in the air, you know, calling attention to himself. I knew he wasn't the slightest bit interested in the gospel and things like that. And it put me off. And I thought, what am I going to do? Do I keep him from coming? And it taught me this. When there is a work of the Spirit, expect people like that to show up. And it's off-putting. And what was really hurtful is that I was trying to lead my church into becoming more open to the Holy Spirit. And you got strange people like this showing up who are trying to teach us how to do it. Mm. And it put our own people off and just postponed how long it would take to get them. Mm. And it's it's just the, the way that Satan would work against what we were doing. Mm. And uh, I learned more about that man later. He, he was a real nut and pony. I could tell that then, but you've got to let him come. You can't stop him. Mm. And just expect the devil to do what he can to divert you from what you want to do. Jonathan Edwards made another interesting statement. I don't know if I quoted it in that passage you just referred to. He said, Satan was trained in the university of the heavens. Mm. See, before he fell, where did he get his knowledge of God? Mm. And so now that he's rebelled against God, you're dealing with somebody who knows God's ways. See what I mean? Yeah. So I'm curious when you, you, you brought up that anecdote of that man. So your advice would be to not necessarily take action or do, do we just kind of let it all come in like the sheep and the wolves together and just let, you know, and it says in the Bible, the angels will sift out eventually in that last day. Is, is, is that what you recommend? Do we, I, I'm curious in terms of the line of wisdom and, and allowing, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but what, what I'm asking, I'm, I'm just curious from that sense, even from Steve as a, as a pastor too. Good, good question. Not easy to answer. Not easy to answer. Just remember you're fighting not flesh and blood, mm-hmm. but the principality's powers. Mm-hmm. He will use people like this to divert you and, and cause you to lose your temper mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And then, the devil gets a victory when you do that. Remember, a Pentecostal lady came to Westminster Chapel and in the middle of the service started speaking in tongues and yelling. And I sent for her. She came into the vestry. And I said, don't you ever do that again. Mm. She says, I must take my liberty. And I said, and I lost my temper with her. I said, this is outrageous. Don't, don't do this ever. And I lost my temper in trying to rebuke her. Mm. It taught me a lesson. You've got to be gentle when you deal with people like that. You say, well, I understand, ma'am, but what you did is not a blessing to others. Speak to her gently. She she never came back anyway. Mm. But you pose a good question. It's not easy. Pray for wisdom, love, power in that order. Wisdom, love, power. God will take you through those difficult type of people who want to disrupt or divert you. 
Why do you say specifically in that order, RT? Well, I wouldn't go to the stake for that order. I'm sure. just thinking of some of the great hymns. Join all the glorious names in wisdom, love, and power. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I get it. Brilliant. Wisdom, knowing what to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, love, gentleness, no anger, power that the Holy Spirit will apply the word. I've got to tell you, I am sorry, but I'll have to send you a bill for that little bit of singing I did <laughs> just then. That's not part of this package. But, uh, I, I'm sorry. I was quite impressed, by the way, just to say. You seem to hold a tune perfectly. Oh, oh good. <laughs> <laughs> just to give a little anecdote, I was in a meeting once when Jim Simbler was preaching into a context that was... Jim Simbler, who started the Brooklyn Tabernacle, um, uh, was preaching in a context where there were a number of uh, folks not very open to the things of the Spirit, and a particular man uh, manifested during one of his sermons, during one of Jim Simbler's sermons. And I remember this gentleman eventually got kind of dragged out of the meeting. And I remember it, it stuck with me, you know, this happened 15 years ago, and Jim Simbola was so gracious to this man, just heaped love on him, and then instantly got us as the, the congregation to refocus on Jesus. And he just stopped for a moment, and he just prayed that our eyes and our hearts and our thoughts would, would be on Jesus, and then kind of picked up where he left off. So when you say wisdom, yeah, wisdom, love, and power, I think that, that really was an incident where I saw those three, those three attributes in action. He showed a good example of what I'm trying to tell you I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, to, to dovetail into, uh, uh, man, I'm thinking about that time in season one where I said pigeon, and, and now <laughs> yeah. all this talk about pigeon religion. <laughs> but to dovetail into, into, into forgiveness here. Dr. Kendo, I, I mean, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I've, I've had to work through a lot of bitterness um, over the years. Um, but reading your book, Total Forgiveness, really helped me understand that. And specifically, it was when you highlighted Joseph and his brothers. I believe I'm, I'm remembering this right. If I'm not, I'm editing this out. With Joseph and his brothers and how Joseph was had totally forgiven his brothers because he had everybody step out of the room and then he revealed his identity to his brothers as, as Joseph. And so uh, I was hoping you could unpack this concept of total forgiveness that's, that's explored in the book and how, how listeners could get to that point of total forgiveness. Well, I think we should back up to the time of, in my life when I went through, uh, Louise and I, <clears throat> the greatest trial we'd ever had, ever. What happened was very wrong, unfair, and I was bitter, and I couldn't believe that people would do this to me. And here I am, an American living in London. I never went to London, never went to England, expecting to be living in London all these years. And now that God would let this happen to us and the people who did it. And an old friend, you, you know the story, but for those who watch, you may not. Joseph Stone, T-O-N in Romanian, T-S-O-N is the way once people pronounce it, was in London, and I knew him, and so I invited him to our house, and I told him what I've not told anybody. And my motive, probably, 
was that he would put his arm around me and say, Hartsey, you ought to be angry. Get it out of his system. He just looked at me and said, anything more? And I said, no, that's it. He said, fix me a cup of tea. I'll be back in 15 minutes. He went to the room to, to, to rest. I said, Joseph, don't do that. You'll forget. You'll go to sleep and you'll, I'll be back in 15 minutes. In the meantime, I brought him a cup of tea. He comes back 15 minutes later, right on the second, takes a sip. <laughs> the tea by then is so strong. <laughs> he said, that's what I call a cup of tea. And then he took a sip, put the cup down, and this is verbatim. R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Greatest moment in 25 years at London. Mm. I could even probably be honest and say, greatest moment of my life. Mm. Next October 31st, 1955. I wasn't prepared for that. Wow. And I didn't know how I could do it, but I did it. So that's the background. Okay. I started my series of sermons on the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. So I just went through each verse, and several months later, when we get to uh, Genesis chapter 45, I began to see something that I had not seen before, what Joseph had done that shows he had forgiven his brothers. And I brought all these things together, and I came up with seven proofs that you've totally forgiven. Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did. And that's Joseph. He says, everybody leave the room. Well, they don't know why. Joseph knows who the brothers are. They don't know who he is. They think he's the prime minister of England, which he was. I mean, Egypt, which he was. They have no idea what's coming. He made all of his aides out, even translator out. And now it's Joseph and the 11 brothers. They're standing there not knowing what's going on. Why did he make everybody leave? It's because he's going to get them to live in Egypt. He's going to get them to go back to Canaan, bring Jacob and all the family. He knows that he is a hero in Egypt. He wants his brothers to be heroes. He knows that if the word leaks out, every Egyptian to the man would hate those 11 brothers. So he wanted to ensure that nobody ever would find out what those brothers had done to him years before, 22 years before. Proof number one, that we're totally forgiven. We don't tell anybody what they did. I give a couple exceptions, like a crime must be reported. You need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons, but your reason for telling one other person, it's okay. You want to pour your heart out. That's fine. But the main reason we tell is we want to hurt the people that have hurt us. Get the word out on them so people won't like them anymore. You see, that's, that goes against the principles. Proof number one, you don't tell what they did. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. These brothers are scared to death. They're 
terrified. And Joseph says, come close to me. Mm. Come close to me. He just wanted to love on them. Mm. I mean, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. It was their actual, their brother. He's speaking to them now in their own language. He says, I, I'm Joseph. My father's still alive. And they can't believe it. Proof number three, you don't let them feel guilty. He said, don't blame yourselves uh, for doing this. And you see, when you've forgiven another person, you want to set them free. And Joseph was setting them free. Instead of throwing it up to them, he was letting them, it comes to the fourth point, you let them save face. And instead of rubbing their noses in it, God meant it for good, said Joseph. These brothers couldn't believe their luck. That the same man they were going to kill now is saying God did it. They can't believe it. Are you saying God did it? Yes. He says, it wasn't. I. God sent me ahead of you. He said somebody had to get here first because it was predestined. God said to Abraham that his seed would be coming out of Egypt. Somebody had to get here first. And God said, Joseph, you go first. Simple as that. And then he said, and then the proof number six, it's a life sentence. You've got to keep doing it. Seventeen years later, old Jacob died, and the brothers come running to Joseph, and they say to him, Dad told us to tell you to forgive us before he died. He said, Joseph, please forgive your brothers. And Joseph starts to cry. He said, what's the matter with you, man? I told you 17 years ago. I forgave you. I forgave you then. I forgive you now. It shows that it wasn't just a one-off with Joseph. He wasn't trying to just show a good example. He really had forgiven him. It was real. So I say to people, it's a life sentence. You've got to keep doing it. You've got to do it today. You've got to do it tomorrow, day after tomorrow, a week from now, a year from now. And I'll tell you right now, I still have to do it. Some of the people I've had to forgive are still alive. And then the final evidence is that you pray for them. You care for them. You love them. And Joseph says, don't worry. I will look after you. He, he, let them, he put them at ease. And when you pray for them and really mean it, you're there. The trouble is when we pray for people, we just say, Lord, I commit them to you. You're hoping God will kill them. That's not what God is. You actually ask God to bless them. I'll tell you one more. I'll try to keep it short, but you would want to hear this. It's harder to forgive those who've hurt your family than to forgive what they've done to you. And one Sunday morning at Westminster Chapel, we're singing the great hymn. Now, I'm gonna, this is going to cost you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Praise my soul, the King of heaven. And out of the congregation, in walks a woman, sits on the fourth row from the back, who has done irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. I lost it. I could only mouth the words. Then I had to read the scripture. Then another hymn. All I could do is think of that woman. What's she doing here? Then came the pastoral prayer. In those days, pastoral prayer went to 10 minutes. How I got through that prayer, I have no idea. Mm. What saved me was offering time when I sit down and 
deacon comes to the pulpit, welcomes the visitors, and says the offering will now be received. It gave me a few minutes. I'm sitting there, and to my surprise, the Lord goes into a conversation with me. I don't say this is verbatim, but it's pretty close. It was as if the Lord looked down at me and said, R.T., you want to see revival at Westminster Chapel. Is that correct? Yes. Good. How much do you want to see revival? Oh, a lot. Really? Pray for that woman. I just said, Lord, I, I pray for that woman. He said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. Bless her. <laughs> Say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Do you mean that? Yep. And what if I answer your prayer and I bless her? I said, Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? And that's the point. I had to pray that God would bless her and to add insult to injury, if I may put it that way, I had to put her on my prayer list starting the next day, every day, every day, every day for years. Mm-hmm. And guess what? God did bless her. When I get to heaven, what the right one was just going up to her and saying, I know why God blessed you. <laughs> I don't know. But I'll tell you one other thing. It had as much to do, I'm sure of this, in increasing my anointing as when I had to do it when Joseph Stone said that. And when I began to see how much anointing God was giving me, what I mean by that, I couldn't write books fast enough. Mm. People say, how come you've written all those books? Well, partly sermons, but partly of new stuff too. And in those days, I was still coming up with new sermons and that became books. The point is, I began to see, you know, praying for your enemy, this is a pretty good deal. And I came up with an enemy's prayer list. And they're on it till this day. I, forgive me, I don't mean to boast, I'm not trying to sound pious, but I will tell you now that three hours ago in the next room, when I go through my prayer list, there's now seven people on it. Mm. I pray for them by name every day. God bless them, bless them, bless them. And some of the names you'd even know. Hopefully I'm not on the RT. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's do you like Indian? Do you like Indian food? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> D- Dr. Kendall, I took Steve to uh, a great restaurant, and he called it the armpit of Indian food <laughs> in Chicago. Can you believe this, man? By the way, you know what? <laughs> Two weeks ago, I was in the Chicago area, and I'd heard over the years about Chicago pizzas, but I'd never had one. And so the pastor, I think he knows you, took me to this Chicago pizza place. Man, best pizza I ever had in my life. Of course. And so Chicago, Chicago pizza, they're about that thick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> man, you had to wait 45 minutes for them, and they weren't cheap. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a- trying to find a place in Nashville where they might have one. I haven't found one yet. It'll be, a, it'll be a poor imitation. RT, just getting back to, just getting back to the, the incredible testimonies that you've just shared of, uh, you know, and thank you for being so vulnerable with sharing those. Essentially what you're saying is 
forgiveness in so many ways comes down to choice, correct? Yeah. 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 The choice to forgive, the choice to pray, the choice to to trust for God's honor upon the person, and that brings about a change in heart. Yeah. It's an act of the will. You do it because it's right. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you pray every day whether to brush your teeth? Mm. Yeah, it's true. You just do it. Yeah. Same thing with prayer life, obedience, whatever. Mm -hmm. You do it. Don't wait. If, if you wait till you feel led, you'll never do it. Mm -hmm. Very true. This is literally, we were talking about this two days ago at a leadership training that Steve was doing. It was my question of, you know, what's the, mm -hmm. the dichotomy between obeying and, and waiting till you feel led or you're feeling and, yeah, I feel like you'll just wait forever sometimes. And so, Dr. Kendall, I'm, I'm curious. I've heard people preach that when you forgive someone, it removes something in the supernatural. And so, I, you know, the biblical examples I've heard uh, and that I've thought about myself is with Joseph and his brothers, when he had totally forgiven the brothers, Jacob blesses them to be the 12 tribes of Israel. And then uh, Stephen, when he's being, being stoned, he says, forgive them. And Paul is in the crowd. And then the next chapter, we read that he has his Damascus Road experience. Do you see that correlation in, in, in the scriptures of, of forgiveness being a powerful tool in the supernatural? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't have a theology worked out, but I would say it comes to that. Here's another interesting verse. And funnily enough, it's not in my book. <laughs> I just missed it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, where Paul says, We forgive lest Satan take advantage of us. Mm. It's so interesting. Read, I'll tell you, you, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Read it. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10. 11. Well, verse 10 11. is 11. 11. Anyone, uh, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven... If there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. There it is. Yeah. You see, once you hold a grudge, you invite the devil to get in. Mm -hmm. And so if you forgive, the devil can't touch you. Mm. But when you hold a grudge, you are vulnerable to the devil and you don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm. But that's a very interesting verse. I'm sorry it's not in my book. Mm. There it is. Amazing. Lest the devil outwit you. Mm. See, you're not smart enough to outwit the devil. Nobody mm. is. Yeah. Mm. But the one weapon you have when you forgive, he's, his hands are tied. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. Dr. Kendall, uh, we're going to ask you to, to pray here for that topic in particular uh, in just a moment. But we just want to honor you um, mm. for all that you've done, your, your body of work, it's 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 incredible. I mean, the book Holy Fire has foundationally changed my life. I mean, and and just my understanding and desire for the Holy Spirit. I feel like God is doing a work in my own life of unchurching the damage and the understanding that I've had of the Holy Spirit. And your ministry and and your work has been a, a huge huge role in that unchurching and and that damage that's been caused in my understanding. And so I just want to thank you personally. I mean, when I started this podcast with Steve, I never thought I'd be able to sit here and, and talk to you. So it's it's a real privilege as as a younger uh, a younger man to to be able to sit here uh, and uh, albeit virtually with someone who has such a, a breadth uh, of faithful ministry. Uh, it's mm -hmm. it's it's really humbling, and uh, I just want to thank you as as a young person for all that you've done for the kingdom and uh, all that you're still doing, uh, and especially for this podcast too. Mm. 
RT, before we ask you to pray, one quick question for those of us who are nowhere near to 64 years of marriage. What is your greatest piece of marriage advice other than to totally forgive? <laughs> Husbands, love your wives as your own body. Mm. This may surprise you that I'm going to you talk about me being vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable. Here's a verse that I read every day and have for years and years and years because I actually have a problem with my temper. And so Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Mm. I read that every day. But earlier on in that same chapter, Proverbs 16, verse 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb and sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Mm. And so when my relationship with Louise, be what it is, she knows this. I've told her. I read that verse every day. Mm. I don't trust myself. I've not arrived. I've not reached the place where I don't have a problem. I have to be careful. As I said yesterday, I lost my temper with the secretary at the doctor's office because she was stupid. <laughs> 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 but I, I've got, I, I still wrestle with that. Mm. So here you are giving me all these accolades. You need to know the truth. Mm. It's, not, it's not like that. You don't. You have no idea how human I am. Mm -hmm. You've no idea, and I'm. I'm. I'm not exaggerating. So I read that every day, and I think sixty-three, nearly sixty-four years of marriage hasn't been easily a bit easy. Back in the nineties, when we were at Westminster Chapel, Louise and I went for marriage counseling, mm. and we needed it. Mm. And I think all marriages reach a place where they need help. Mm. Most people won't admit uh, they need help. Mm. All these accolades you give me, make sure they hear this too. Mm. Or they're going to think that I'm a, a real wonderful saint just came down from heaven. Not true. Mm. There. Amazing. Amazing. Would you do the honor uh, of praying uh, for us? Sure. Heavenly Father, these men have honored me and uh, they have this high opinion of me, the angels must be laughing their heads off because they know the truth. Lord, I ask that all that I have said in reply to these dear men who've asked such good questions will be applied by your Holy Spirit. You said in your word that the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance what Jesus taught. And I pray that those who watch these podcasts or videos, whatever they are, that they will be reminded down the road of things that have been taught today to the degree they please you. So to the degree that I've spoken the truth, apply this by your Holy Spirit. Now I'll pray for my two brothers now. I pray for Steve and Debbie. And this dear man is going to get married in a few weeks. Be on him and his fiancée. And I ask for an ever-increasing anointing of wisdom, love, and power. 
upon these right now. Cover them day and night by the blood of Jesus. Protect them. Preserve them. Supply their every need. And I ask this for every person who's listening. In Jesus' name, amen.